We thank you for being with us today, guys. Welcome back to the room. Some of you, I know this is a time of year where a lot of vacations going on and some were going in and out, but another great group again today. We are teaching The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. This will be installment number 10. Uh, if you've missed uh, any of the prior studies, you can get those on this uh, same YouTube channel if you're watching that, or you can get it on the podcast channel if you're listening there. Uh, you can develop a playlist if that make it easier. Or you can go to BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, click on media. You'll see the Bible study there under the different media options that we have. You can go back over the last four years and listen to any of the series that you would like. Uh, you can also, of course, uh, catch some of the, if you if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram or the Rick and Bubba show on Twitter or Instagram, we always put out the archive uh, every Wednesday and give you a link to it to make it as simple as possible. And of course, some of you are listening because you're one of the 25 men that cannot handle the modern day technology, and you have it have me text it to you every week. Uh, but uh, whatever it takes uh, to disciple uh, the men that want to be discipled, we are all in. Uh, do want to remind you uh, the next Man Church is coming up. That'll be on August the twenty fifth, uh, and we will have Greg Powers will be here talking to us, who who uh, is a professional golfer. And then the next day on that Monday, we do have our you know our, our Man Church Challenge Golf Tournament. Uh, that's that opportunity. If you were not here last week, now hopefully you heard it. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to find uh, two men that you know that maybe are on a journey. Maybe they're they're not they don't have a church, or uh, you know maybe they're still on the journey of, of salvation. Uh, you get a chance to caddy for them, and they get to play Greystone for free. Uh, you're their caddy. You take care of them. Uh, they'll get a, a lunch that we'll provide, and then a dinner as well. Uh, and they'll hear the testimony from Greg Powers, and then I'll be there for the dinner. Uh, to present the gospel and, and to give them an opportunity to respond to that. And uh, all you have to do is serve them and take care of them. Uh, so if you uh, uh, would like to know more about that, I can get you in touch with the people you need to get in touch with. Uh, all you have to do is just contact me, and I'm happy to help. Also, before you leave, uh, one of our men has put together, Harry uh, has put together some DVDs here, uh, and uh, these are free. You can get these on the way out. This is the uh, 4th of July service uh, that uh, David Jeremiah and his church put together, and it's a great message and an incredible service, and these are yours. So they're right here if you want to come grab them on the way out. Y'all be sure and tell Harry thank you for the times that he does these and provides this for us. He's there in the back if you want to see him on the way out. So let's open up with a word of prayer today, and let's jump in uh, to, uh, uh, to chapter 10. I do want to say this. It's a little bit heavy. Uh, um, uh, a friend of mine I just got word, unfortunately, uh, for his family. Um, I went through some tough times, and it has ended in a way that, um, and if I could just say this to you, and I, and I certainly don't want to be sensitive to the situation. Uh, I've had to go through this, walk through this a few times. I know some of you have too. I know when things get hard, don't be a loner. Don't get out on your own. Don't let the adversary come in and convince you that, that you're somehow doing a service to your family by taking your own life. Uh, all you're doing if you do that is creating more problems. You're not solving any problems. So don't buy into that. If you get to where you're hurting and you get that bad off, man, come see us. We're here for you. Let us walk with you. Uh, I just got news uh, about a, a couple hours ago uh, that a man that I know took his own life, and, uh, uh, and, and, and here we are again now. Going to go talk to a wife and talk to some kids. And, uh, and once again, I know that these men get in their minds that, that this is a solution. No, this is, this, this is just creating a worse situation. And I'm not trying to be insensitive right now, but I think when we have these things happen, you think, I wish I could have said this to him. 
You know, you're not doing anything but creating more problems. You're not, because I know in their minds they think this is going to solve a problem and this is somehow a way of serving their wife and children. But when you put that kind of stuff on your wife and children, you're not helping anyone. So please don't let, don't let that lie come into your spirit and come into your ear. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not exempt from that. I, I know what it's like sometimes to, to, to feel that, that depression and that darkness kind of creep up on us. And we look through men in the Bible. They went through times of trouble and, and depression. Uh, but that's not where they were supposed to be. That God always has a way out. Uh, and, you know, what you got to do is learn through this, what we're studying now, is to, to lean on Christ, to lean on the men, lean on your wife, and just, and just take that and push it away from you. Don't, don't let it get on you. And uh, it doesn't, look, you're not weak because you're struggling with it, okay? But, but don't give in to it, okay? And I just, I just want to make that point because I know there may be people listening, watching, and there may be some of you in here. I mean, what, don't, don't let that, that is not the solution. That is not the solution. So yeah, pray for the Jennings family today, for a wife and, 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 and children that, um, that are having to go through that right now. Uh, so we open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the, the prompting and, uh, of, of mine, certainly, on whether I should talk about that today or not, Lord. Uh, I do pray you're with the Jennings family. All of us join together. Here's a wife. Here's a son. Uh, here, here's a grandchild. Here's a daughter. Uh, Lord, that, uh, that, that they're hearing news, and now in their minds they're like, why? Why did this happen? Why, 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 would, uh, why would my husband, why would my father do this? And, Lord, once again, I, I see the adversary taking men out and, and leaving behind difficulty. I pray, Lord, that this wife, though, will, will stand up. I know she's a woman of God. Uh, I know they know the truth. I know his son is solid. And I pray, Lord, this would be something that they, they are made stronger through it will not be used to, to take their legs out from under them, that they'll be reminded of how wonderful you are and that you're always near to the brokenhearted. And whatever the problem is, Lord, you are the answer. And, Lord, we just take that promise and we hold close to it as we boldly step in to unpack your word and we're ready for you to refine us and to teach us and to grow us and to strengthen us uh, by, by your word, which is here for rebuke, it's here for exhortation, but it's also here to, to give us hope and, and, and to give us the, the peace that, that, that is supernatural. As you said in John 16, 33, you said this so we'd have peace. In this world, we will face tribulation. You even told us. So tribulation should not shock us. But you said when it comes to always have peace in our heart because you have overcome the world. And we cling and celebrate that promise right now. Lord, thank you for overcoming whatever we face. And thank you for defeating our real problem, and that's our redemption and our justification. And now today, Lord, you continue to sanctify us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, in, in, in chapter 10, the pursuit of holiness, you know, keep in mind, if, if, you're, if you're not staying with us, you've got to have all the pieces of the puzzle because this is a stream of consciousness that's rolling on. The process of pursuing holiness uh, in our lives, and and holiness is something that the Bible does call us to. So we want to be very clear about this. And I think what's happening, and we'll talk about this a little bit with the the today the the place of personal discipline. And uh, as Jerry even had to confess at one time, he thought if you talked about personal discipline or personal action uh, with sanctification, that somehow that was sinful because we're suggesting there's something we must do that God hasn't already done. We're not saying that at all. 
God has already done what needs to be done, but we do have to move to access what he's already accomplished. And, and we're trying to make this clear. And I think one of the things today we'll talk about, and I heard Andy Blank say this. I had a, uh, the pleasure of hearing him teach on Sunday morning, and, and he made a great point. And, and we're going to hit these points. It was interesting that it's going to be part of our study before we're done. But he was talking about, he said, I believe especially what's happened with men a lot of times is that we're in awe of human beings more than we're in awe of God. I mean, if I told you that you're whoever you're in awe of, which, by the way, I don't know that we should be in awe of any human being. You remember Steve Farrar when he came to Man Church? Why in the world are you in awe or afraid of anyone that, that gets to take their next breath only if God allows it? I mean, God allows this guy you're so enamored with to breathe, and you're more enamored with him than you are God. And so, and so I mean, you're, if we found out that your favorite football coach, your favorite athlete, or your favorite celebrity, or whatever the case may be, was, was in town, you'd be more enamored and working around to get there than, than you might be if I told you that, 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 that the Lord God Almighty was going to show up today. So one of the things I think the reason why we're not made holy is we don't have, we're not in awe of God uh, the way that we should be. We're, we're much more impressed with human beings than we are with God. And, and that's something that has to change. And so Paul is writing to young Timothy, and um, Adler, I'll get this to you, but this will be the verse that we'll use today. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, let's listen because we're going to unpack something that Paul says to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, and then, of course, in verse 7, he says to Timothy and to us, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, and here's the word we're going to land on today, train yourself for godliness. Hmm. So, so train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. And, you know, he goes on to say that physical training is of some use, but when you're training yourself spiritually, this holds, you know, the keys to eternity. It's possible to, you know, it, it, to establish convictions regarding a life of holiness, even make a definite commitment to that end, but yet fail to achieve it. You know, we talk about this all the time. You know, you say, well, I, 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 I'm convicted that I should have a life of holiness, so I'm, I'm believing what you say. I'll even make you a commitment that I'm going to do it, but then never really do it. And he said that's possible. Jay Adams put it this way. He said, you may have sought and tried to obtain instant godliness, and this is why they usually fail, there's no such thing. We want something to give us three easy steps to godliness, and we'll take them next Friday, and then we'll be godly. The trouble is, godliness doesn't come that way. And the reason why, even when you make a commitment, I mean, look, we, the next chapter, I'm going to be under so much conviction that I'm not even thinking, do I even need to teach it? Because we're going to take on in the next chapter one of the things that, that we as a church a lot of times have, are afraid to just call sin, and that is physical unfitness and, and overeating and gluttony. That's coming in the next chapter, which I'm going to really have a blast with that because that's been one of the struggles that I've had my whole life. But you know, you know why? You know why every workout program that I ever started on, every diet that I ever started on, you know why many times I didn't stick with it? Because I didn't see instant success. I'm like, man, this is taking longer than I thought. So I guess I'll, and I was committed. I was sold out to it. But I'm like, so when, when do you start sticking with something? When you start seeing results. Well, results, when it comes to godliness, are not going to be instantaneous. Now, you, certainly when you're justified, just like the young man I talked about 
uh, that it was so excited when he said, look, I got chills all over my body. I'm weeping. I'm broken. I really do sense the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that was the beginning for him. It wasn't the end. Now he has the ability to be made holy. He's been justified. But now he has the ability to be made holy, and that's certainly accomplished through God, but it is not going to happen instantly. Think about what we just heard to Timothy. Train yourself. So the way to obtain godliness is through Christian discipline. <sighs> Uh-oh. May cost you something. May have to actually do something. And so he said this appears to be counter to our emphasis on freedom in Christ and often smacks of legalism and harshness. So what we have to be careful of, and I mean, we went through this and we started uh, the man church system in our church. One of the things that I heard early on, legitimately, I heard early on from some of the people were like, this seems a little harsh. This, this is a little rough. What's the reason why we're having man church? I mean, you... We wouldn't have this presentation if you had children and women in the room. But when the men got together to be men and to, to be spoken to like men, it's a different tone. And some people said, this feels a little harsh. But you know what we discovered? But it was effective. Now, were there some people that got their feelings hurt and didn't come back? Certainly. And does that mean that everything was done perfectly? I'm flawed, so probably not. But I can tell you this. There were a number of people that are sitting in this room four years later that that was the tone that they needed to hear. And it was the tone I needed to hear. Okay? So, so, even, so the, we got to get to the point where every time somebody talks about holiness, sanctification, uh, altering behavior, uh, hey, you need to do this, training, we got to stop with the pushback. What, what about freedom in Christ? Uh, this is legalistic. Legalism and obedience are not the same thing. Okay, they're not the same thing. And I think it, a lot of times in our paranoia that we're so afraid to be called mean, harsh, or legalistic that we've been willing to take sanctification and obedience and throw it out with the trash as we're trying to remove legalism from the church. And legalism and obedience and holiness aren't the same thing. Legalism is something we don't want to be. We don't want to have a self-righteous, you know, when, when I take my emails now as I'm growing in Christ, there was a time when I declared every single email to be a Pharisee. If anybody said I was doing something wrong, ah, Pharisee. Well, and then I started realizing, no, no, all of them aren't. How about some of them are giving you scripture and verse, and they're your brother or sister in Christ that hears you claiming to be a follower of Jesus, and what you did on the show today, you shouldn't have done. And you need to listen to them. You know, swallow your, your arrogance, swallow your pride, and quit deeming anybody who tries to tell you you're not doing something right as being a Pharisee. Now, are there still Pharisees? Yes, there are. Uh, have I been guilty of being a Pharisee? Probably, at times. Uh, but, I, but that's something else that I'm working on, is, is, to, is to be sure what, even when we're doing this, we're doing it with the right heart. You know, even with, with the, the verse that's part of our, uh, 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 is kind of our our theme verse for our men's ministry, and a lot of people use it for men's ministry, is uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. And it, we love out like a man. We, we love that we need to be watchful. We love all that, but we forget at the end, he says, and be sure everything you do, you do in love. Yeah. You know, I had it really going until I got to that part. Now that's kind of taking the steam out of what I was doing. But it doesn't say that we don't, we don't challenge each other, but be sure that it's always the right spirit. But we can't be so afraid of not having the right spirit that we don't do it at all. How about just do it right? 
Just do it right. And, and so Paul says that we are to train or discipline ourselves to be godly. This is a figure of speech that uh, you know, was from physical training that the Greek athletes went through. You know, Paul was always, when he, especially when he was talking to Gentiles, he was using a lot of analogies with the Greek athletes that they saw you know, that were playing the games. And so what he's saying is, just like these Greek athletes have to train themselves physically to go for the prize, and of course he goes on to say, I mean, they're doing all this for a trophy. I mean, that little thing they got, I mean, it was like leaves. I mean, but, but we all know as men especially, or, or women who are competitive, we all know it's to say that you won. It really doesn't matter what they give you. I was the best at what I did, or I beat the opponent, or I outdid everybody, and I'm getting a just reward for my physical work. Well, Paul's saying, well, the same way that happens, look what he said in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Write that down. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And this is the attitude every Christian should have. What Paul's t- point again, he says, and even says, you know, what we just heard from Timothy, Physical training is of some use, but think about it, it just ends up giving you some benefits, and, and certainly we should do that. But he said, but think about why are you not training yourself spiritually? Because it holds the key to eternal life. Can we all agree that spiritual training delivers something better than, a, than, than us to put some, a little something on top of our head or to get a trophy? And, I'm, and there's nothing, I'm, I'm not anti-competition at all. You know that. However, it can't become that type of training is all that matters to you. You know, this is the kind of thing is, I don't care if my football coach is a devout follower of Jesus as long as he wins. Well, why can't he be both? Why don't, why don't he have the same commitment to his spiritual health as he does to his physical or his strategy or the, what he puts the, the athletes through? But if we were all honest, I shouldn't say all, oh, I think some things are changing. If some of us were honest, if I told you that you're going to have a football coach that is going to disciple young men from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity and de- deliver devout followers of Jesus Christ, but you're going to go one in ten and lose to your rival, would you still keep him on his coat? I mean, just be honest. He's going to get fired. So that's why we can't look to the world on how we're supposed to do things. You know, every football coach, my father included, when they stand before their Lord and Savior and they stand before the great I am, their winning of football games isn't going to mean anything if it didn't point anybody to justification and sanctification. It's not going to matter. Now, I know in this temporal, finite world we're living in right now, we can't imagine that, but I don't know how to break it to y'all. God doesn't care who wins the iron bowl. Now, he's going to take the iron bowl, and he's going to be testing some people, and he's, going to be, and he's going to be using it, and there's going to be all kinds of things that God's hand's in that's going on, but he is not for Auburn or Alabama. He really isn't. I know some of you are in shock, and if y'all need to be counseled after it, I'll stay here and talk to you because <laughs> you're convinced he's for your team, and I'm here to tell you he's not. Okay? What he's hoping is that the people who play the game and coach the game and come the game don't die and go to hell. Now, will he use it? Did he allow it to be created? He certainly did. Was Paul a fan of the games? He was. Certainly he was. But what is he telling you? But be sure you understand why we're doing this. It's just, this is all to show you things about your spiritual life. 
And if all you got out of it is some satisfaction for your physical life, it's not of a lot of value. This is not an anti-don't like your football team. Just don't worship it. And also don't change your standards for your football team and then everything else is a different standard. You know, I, I, it's amazing how, 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 how many things will turn our, our, our blind eye to as long as our team wins. You know? And, and, it, and, that, and that's it. I mean, and, and so we, we, got, we got to get, get our mind right when it comes to this. And he says, so if you, if, you, if you want that kind of excellence in your football team, you want that kind of excellence in athletic ability, then you should at least want the same excellence in your spiritual life. Right? And, uh, and I know we know that, but let's, let's ask ourselves if we, if we really practice that. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 27. If an athlete disciplines himself to abstain, I mean, obtain a temporal prize, uh, look, he, he, Paul is saying in these verses, how much more should we Christians discipline ourselves to obtain a crown that lasts forever? What did Paul say at the end of his life to Timothy? Do you remember what he said? He ran the race. There's another athlete. Yeah, he fought the fight. What did he say he was going to get? Was, was he going to get the little, the little thing on the head? No. Was he going to get a trophy? Was he going to get to put the, the year that he won the championship? What did he say he was going to get? The crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness from his Lord and Savior. So Paul said, ultimately, at the end of my life, I hope that I've achieved that crown because if I've got anything else, but I don't have this, I don't have anything. That's how he knew he'd run the race well and he'd fought the good fight, was that he was going to receive his just reward from Jesus. Is that how you live your life? Is that how I live my life? Honestly. Am I, am I working to say that I want to stand before Jesus and I want to hear from him well done, or am I still wanting to stand before the world and hear well done from them? That's okay to have both as long as you didn't compromise Jesus because if you got it from Jesus, that means that the well done from, from the world was something that honored him. Amen. But let me tell you something, if you're more enamored with coaches, celebrities, and athletes than you are Jesus, something's dreadfully wrong, dreadfully wrong, and you're in, you're in trouble. You've you got to make that adjustment because something's wrong. Because if you're not as enamored with Jesus as you are these things, then you must not really know Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to question your salvation because that's not my place. The Bible tells me clearly that's I'm not the judge. But I will tell you this, if you're not enamored with Jesus, either you're lost or you just don't know him the way you should yet. Is that fair? I know it wasn't my life. So what does discipline mean? What does it mean? So I, he, uh, Jerry goes to the dictionary, and I thought this was really good. Listen to this. Here's what the dictionary says the word discipline means. Training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Wow. So if I'm pursuing holiness, he's calling me to a spiritual training that will correct me, will mold me, will perfect me into the moral character that holiness demands. Now, God accomplishes it because I can't be holy. But Jesus says, but I, I, I'm holy, so you be holy, meaning what? I'm holy, I'll make you holy. You got it? 
But but I but I can say if Jesus say, "Come here, I'll make you holy," you know, I can say, "Yeah, pass." Pa- I, no. And see, so it goes back to the thing that I struggled with. It's just me. You know, I, I don't know your situation. One of the things that kept me from taking that that step that I finally took of total submission was I knew that Jesus was going to take things from me that I wasn't ready to give him. I wasn't sold yet that being under the authority of Jesus was better than these things. And you know what I knew? There were things in my life that weren't holy, and he wasn't going to have it. Why? Because he loved me. Not because he was against me. Hey, get that right. God's not against you. Now, he's against you if you, if, if you decide you're going to try to walk in there unredeemed. He can't help it. But God is for you. He's not, hey, he didn't worship you. You know, there's some of that theology out there. God is not a human worshiper. However, he loves us enough that he went to the cross. And that's big. You know, I think one of the things we get about God's love for us is if you ever have children. And once you have children, I mean, you, you think to yourself, I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm trying to keep you out. of What I'm saying is right. You know, th- 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 I'm not against you. I'm for you. I know what, 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 what is going to serve you better and what's not going to. And when you don't do it and you suffer the consequences, God's not celebrating that. Have you ever had that happen with one of your kids? You're like, man, I tried to tell you. I had that happen with one of mine. I mean, uh, I was sat down across from him. He asked me about something. I said, do this, do this, and don't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't do that, and he did that. <laughs> but he was, he was a grown man. And so he comes back, and he says, hey, this happened, this happened, this happened. I said, now, who told you that's what was going to happen? You did. Right. But you did it anyway. I did. And I said, and what happened? What you said would happen. Did I do that because I was trying to ruin the fun, or did I do that because I loved it? Now, he, he can reject it. Does that mean that I push him away and he can never be around me again? No. He comes back and said, hey, I messed up. I blew it. I repent. But you know what? When it came to the earthly repercussions, he said, what are we going to do about that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> but it won't include me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this is your time to fix your mess, right? And, he'll, and, and the Lord does that for us sometimes too, doesn't he? Every time I go to him about the sin in my life that I still have an earthly repercussion from, I've been forgiven, praise the Lord. But there's earthly repercussions of certain things I didn't do his way. And guess what? It causes trouble. And when that trouble happens and I go to him crying about it, I hear back from my Heavenly Father, that's on you. Here's how I said you should have done your life, and you didn't do it. You're forgiven if you truly repent. But the earthly stuff that you made, I love you. And I certainly pray and things work out, but the, the, there's certain things I created here on earth that I can't get resolved. I can get it to the best it can be, you know, kind of like an old, old broken car or something. I can get it running again, and I can even make long trips in it again, but it's never quite the same again. Sin, listen to me, sin always matters. It always matters. But it's not unforgivable. Because what, what, what I know is that this is not heaven. And what I know is the promises of God. I, a situation going on right now, and somebody asked about that. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm clinging to the promises of God because I believe in them. And, and so, so, so this discipline 
in holiness is exactly what it says it is. And it cannot be accomplished what next? He said, you're never going to accomplish holiness, Rick. What? Without the Word of God. I've I got to know it. I mean, I, I've, got, I've got to get in here to know what I'm supposed to do. The, the, then what I need, you know what God said? Can you imagine, honestly, and anybody ever been, had any kind of leadership or anything in a business or whatever, y'all know exactly how God feels. I heard a guy say this the other day, I hate to go to meetings that could have been an email. No need to call a meeting over something that could have been an email. But why do meetings happen that should have been an email? Won't nobody read it? Have, have you ever taken something and said, hey, guys, everybody look at this, and you give it to them, and somebody comes back and asks you something that was on that sheet? You ever had that happen? Does that infuriate you? How do you think God feels when we come back going, God, I don't know what to do about such and such? He goes, I, I've got 2,000 years. I've had this for you. <laughs> you ever have people pray over things that God's already answered? There's no need. Now, certainly you want to pray about what to do, but you, you don't, God's covered quite a bit. I wonder how God feels about this. I, well, I can tell you, he's covered. You know, and we said, what, was it last week week before? There are some areas that are not as clear, but he's giving you enough clear things to even make decisions on those. So, uh, so first of all, he says that we got we to know Scripture. If you say, I want to be disciplined to, in my holiness, and I want to be disciplined, then Scripture has to be there. Second Timothy 3.16, what did Paul say to Timothy again? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, don't miss the list, teaching. Here comes the, don't call people Pharisees when they're just doing rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness or holiness. Well, there's the word training again. So this is part of my training? Yes. Yes. And look, we've already destroyed the famous thing, Rick, I was the king of this. I told y'all, I'd never read a book since read, Where the Red Fern Grows. I didn't like to read. Don't, I tell you all the time, my wife loves to read. God makes me read. It's two different things. It don't come easy for me. But you know what? When I started getting into it and saying, Lord, you teach me. I love this. I, I, can't, I, th I think it was maybe Scott Dawson, the first person I ever heard say this one time, when he was given a, a, a time of decision, and I thought this was perfect for the new believer. I know that you love me. Now you teach me to love you. Teach me to love you. I don't know you well enough yet. You know everything about me. I'm just learning about you. Why do you think Scott said that? Because John 14, 15 said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Hey, I've been justified today. Thank you for that, Lord. But if I'm going to grow in my spiritual health, you got to teach me to love you. How do we learn to love him? We, we get to know him. Where do we get to know him? In the word. So once I started realizing that this just had so much, it's like I said before, and every man, if you, if, if you don't admit this, you're just not ready to be clean. And that's what? We always consume everything we can about whatever we deem of value. I don't want to hear any more. We got bad study habits. I use that excuse for years. No, I knew a lot about everything I cared about. And every man does. Every woman does. We'll research. We'll find out everything. We'll read books about it. Yeah, books. We'll listen to it. We'll consume, 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 consume. So if you know more about your football team than you know about your Savior, you got that information somewhere. 
Why not just have that same devotion to Jesus? If you can tell me the starting lineup for your favorite sports team and a seventh grader y'all looking at that, that I'm sure is going to pan out, <laughs> um, why don't you tell me the same thing about your Savior? Why can you not tell me about your Savior? That information is available too. Probably easier to get than that information. I don't know how you found that high school. You worked at it. You know why you worked at it? Because you love it. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you know more about that and you know about Jesus. Then it's a problem. And so we hear Paul saying to Timothy that the Bible is part of training in righteousness. Paul says training or discipline and doing righteousness, we must read scriptures. I love this when you go to, you can write this down too, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And I'm just going to give you the first, what, what is the key of these scriptures when Paul is saying to Ephesus, you were taught. I don't miss that. You were taught. And then he goes into his dissertation. Why is he saying that first? You've been taught this. Right? I'm not, I'm not bringing up something today y'all shouldn't already know. I think about the writer of Hebrews. Oh, the writer of Hebrews. You know, whoever that is. But the, the writer of Hebrews... When he says, and I'm paraphrasing, I, I keep having to come back and give you milk. And you can tell he's frustrated by it. When you should be eating meat by now. But I can't give you meat because you can't handle it. And then he says this. Some of you should be teaching by now. But I have to keep going back to the basic oracles of God. And hey, the writer of Hebrews isn't saying that's okay and I understand. He's saying it shouldn't be this way. I'll tell you one of the reasons why we don't see society look different than it does is because we can't seem to get, if we would do the, the, the Jesus design, and I'm not, this is not a denominational thing or whatever, but man, it was accurate. And I remember even thinking it was a little too simple, but man, it was accurate. And we're back doing it again, who's your one? But back when I was younger and, you know, not, not following Jesus, but I can still remember each one reach one. If, in order to, to, to for if we would multiply, like, like Jesus said, make disciples, like we're trying to do in this room, you should be able to go out and handle the scriptures. Instead of one guy or three guys that keep going out trying to get in front of these big crowds, you know one of the reasons why promise keepers didn't make it? Is they said they were drawing these great crowds, but they could never get it down to when people left now, certainly, I know individuals that, power, that, that the promise keepers use to radically change their life, and I'm certainly a fan of promise keepers. Don't misunderstand me, but I'm talking with some of the guys now about what we're doing, and I said, what do we need to do to keep this thing going? Of course, they love what we're doing about the wheel of discipleship that doesn't ever stop, and they said that's what they never could get going. Nothing wrong with events. You'll still see me do events, but they said it really got to where the events got bigger, bigger, and bigger, but they could never quite get the one-on-one -on -one and it never quite multiplied that this guy left and discipled that guy and this guy left and discipled that guy and that the people who left became individual evangelists and disciple makers. Everybody's kept depending on the next event to let them do it. You see where that can, and it got huge. I mean, I mean, and it was huge, but if all that hugeness produced hundreds of thousands of devout followers of Jesus, why does the world look the way it does? So that's that seed thing that Jesus is talking about. Now, some of these seeds we throw out, and we should. 
But discipleship, Jesus said make disciples. Now that doesn't mean that we're, evangelism's understood. But, but once somebody says, okay, now what? We don't treat that as the end. We treat that as the beginning. And, and, and so that's what we're trying to do. So if, you, um, if you're reading the book, you can see uh, kind of what he, um, he puts a little diagram in 97 about Scripture and, and that you were taught. And you know, then Paul goes on to say to put off your old self, uh, to be made new in the attitude of your minds in Ephesians. But he said you were taught. So how do you set up the regular, as we have regular intake of scriptures and, and, and a disciplined plan for applying them to our daily lives, then our cooperation with the Holy Spirit's clear. And then he did the diagram. And in the diagram, he said, so the Spirit wrote scripture, meaning God breathed. We learned the God breathed scripture. Then once we learn the God breathed scripture, then we, we, we apply it to our lives and we learn how to apply that. And then we apply what we've learned and go through our lives. So he said, the Holy Spirit has already done a good part of his work by providing us with the scriptures to discipline us. And as we learn them, he will faithfully bring them to our minds as we need them as we face temptation. When you get to the point where you'll see some great victory is when you come into a situation and you immediately think what the Bible says about it. Right? And how do you get that reps? Anybody ever coached? Coach, while we keep doing this over and over again, I said, so it will be second nature to you. Rep, 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 rep. And, you know, and I remember it because I, I, nobody struggles with memorizing Scripture more than me. But you know what? You know how I have learned to retain some of it? Reps. So what I don't do, I don't go out and try to learn a thousand Scriptures. I go out and say, I need, I'm going to learn three. I'm going to learn one. You know, at least I got one that I, I can recall. And then the others, if I can't recall them, I know where to find them. You know? Well, I, you remember, remember when you first started out, or I do, somebody says, now where does it say that in the Bible? That's a lot of books and a lot of pages, but it's in there somewhere, I'm telling you. But, but when you get, you start figuring out the way the books are set up. And, you know, I certainly uh, can, I can get close. I mean, if any of you know me, I'll say something like, I think that's in uh, Timothy 4, 1 Timothy, and then I look into 2 Timothy 3. But I, I was close. You know what I mean? At least I'm in Timothy now, one of them. And, and so, but you start getting better, right? What, you start getting better. How many of you, nobody ever started out doing anything that, you know, like I talk about, with anything you were doing training on, you don't start out knowing everything. I didn't. I didn't know how to run a board. I was one of those kind of people that, of course, you know, I, I believed in trying to get the job. I remember vividly, a guy asked me in my first job ever as a DJ. He says, "You know how to run this board and cue records?" And I said, "Absolutely." <laughs> I had no idea how to cue records, but I got in there and started trying to start trying to figure it out because I just wanted the job. But 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 so I couldn't run it the first day, right? How did I learn to run it? I studied it. I figured it. I worked it out. I worked with it. And how do men learn? Visually, hands-on. Let's get my hands on. I got to know. I learn like this. Y'all wouldn't believe how much I'm learning teaching this. People tell me every time, and I appreciate all of our guys at the church. Hey, Rick, you know, you can take a, a year off. Mm, I can't either. How come? I said, oh, I don't know if they need it, but I certainly do. I'm not, I know somebody else can teach this, but if I, you know what? And I'm just going to be real with you. I want to get to the point, you may see me take a break, if I can look you in the eye and say, I'll be there as much as you guys are here. But see, right now, if I stop teaching this, would I come see y'all every Wednesday somewhere? I'd like to think I would. I would. I really, I mean, I'd love to say the right thing. But, but i got to get to the point where if it, all of a sudden we say, when do you guys rise up in here and say, I'm going to teach it this next round, and we're going to meet wherever, or wherever I say you want to meet here. Maybe I'll have you meet here, because then I'd be in trouble if I didn't come. Y'all can find me then. But I, you guys are much, you guys are devoted, and see, you don't have to. I've, I've told you that I'll be here to teach, so I got nowhere to go. 
But that's the kind of accountability I need. Look at how much you guys come when you don't have to. And see, that shows you see it of some value. You see it doing something. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I've been blown away by that. I mean, I really have. And, and, and I, I can't tell you how much it encourages me to see you guys deeming this of value in your life. It really, really does. So he says, so then we know how to handle daily situations. He said, he'll work in us to strengthen us, but we must respond to what the Holy Spirit has already done if we expect him to do more. So we see that we must dis- discipline our lives for a regular, healthy diet, diet of the Word of God. Now, I know now we're to the point with a little bit of, the, a, little bit of a rub because you're going, Rick, well, what, what's the plan? I wish we had a better person for this and look at some of the stuff Jerry's talked about because I'll tell you something. It's hard for me to say, here's my plan for a diet of the Word, because my plan is not as structured as maybe some of you need. You know, some people say, well, do you have a certain time of day? Yes and no. I basically study Scripture when I can. Uh, You know, I make time for it, but I don't have a set time. Like, I don't, certainly I pray every morning, and I get up, and I roll through the things that God's laid in my heart before I go to work. And I'll certainly read a page of Oswald Chambers, and then once he convinces, convinces me I'm lost, then I have to get back into more prayer. Because, y'all, that has got to be the hardest daily devotional that's ever been written. Who is this guy? I mean, he's coming hard. Uh, uh, how about the other day when he, he, was, he, he was telling me to fret? I mean, it just shows how wicked I am. I, what? I mean, I mean, I know we're not supposed to be anxious, but I'm wicked if I'm anxious? And uh, yeah, it's just another sign to show you how off you are. You know, we're not supposed to fret, not supposed to fret about anything. If you fret, that just shows how wicked you still are, how much work you got to do. I'm like, well, this is a weird July 4th. That was the July 4th one. But, but anyway, so go look at July 4th. Read it. Read Oswald's July 4th. They say it's mean. You know, you talk about some Pharisee. But anyway, so, um, hey, he wasn't very old either. I mean, this guy. But anyway, if you've never read that daily devotion, that's one little thing you can do because there's always scripture in it, and there's a verse for you to learn. Devotions are very helpful, especially for men. Uh, but I'll tell you one of the things that, that I would think, I like some of these plans that give you a proverb, a psalm, an Old Testament, and a New Testament. If you, I like that, or I like getting in one book and just kind of going through it, through the one book of the Bible. If I do a scatter pattern, I find myself really not landing and, and moving forward like I need to. I get, I get too much going on. You know, and if you, if, I would say to some of you, if you just want to be introduced to Jesus, and we're going to do this, I think the next round after we finish this, I think we're just going to walk through the Gospel of John, uh, because th- this is, you know, the different Gospels all have a, a different, you know, part on the team. The Gospel of John is saying, "Here's Jesus. This is who Jesus is, and this is what He's done." And this, it's, it's a, it, it is a book. They're all about Jesus, but you know what I mean. This is more of a, "Here's everything you need to know about Jesus." And so, uh, so I think that's what we're going to do next. So the Gospel of John is a great one. But I would just say this. My dad used to say something about hunting, <laughs> hunting, and he was right. He said, I hear all these people talking about when to go hunting. Let me tell you when to go hunting. I said, when? When's the best time, Dad? He said, when you can. He said, so what, what I would do is say, I'm going to study Scripture when I can. Now, some of you may need something, a, a set time every day, but my, my schedule, my job's weird you know, some of y'all have known this, trying to have lunch with me sometimes. They'll say, how does Thursday look? And I say, we'll see. You know, it just, it's just it's a little fluid. You know, I don't have a set day like a lot of you do. So what I try to do is I'll just find time. to. Sometimes it's in the middle of the afternoon. Sometimes it's at night. Uh, I love Saturday mornings. If I don't have anywhere to go, I love to get up and get a cup of coffee. And I usually get this together on Saturday and lay it out and study scriptures. But, um, 
what I would say is don't overwhelm yourself. I'm not so sure sometimes these goals set Bible studies are, there's nothing wrong with it, but don't get to the point where you're just trying to check it off your list. I've done that before, and I promise you, if you asked me what I just read, I couldn't tell you. I got my homework done, but I don't know what I read. So, so I, I think most men do better, and you may be different, to take little nuggets and really chew on them, as opposed to taking these, like, like some of you that are trying to disciple your kids at night, please don't set your kid down and do a 45-minute devotion before they go to bed. You've lost them. Sit down and try to find a point you want to make with them before they go to bed and, and try to keep it to about five, five, to, five to seven minutes. Okay, you don't have to do some dissertation. You know, for them to see that it matters to daddy and daddy's taking time before I go to bed to pray with me and maybe take one nugget he wants us to, to talk about before we go to bed. Okay, I th- a lot of men fade on this kind of stuff because they, they make it too big too quick. Now, you may find that as you mature that you go, I think I just read through an entire book of the Bible. Okay, that'll come, but don't start with that because I think it'll only frustrate you. Okay, so just just take it and, and, and come up with a, a system, and that system we talked about last week um, is very helpful. Uh, so uh, another thing that you think about, it says as you read scriptures, he said another thing to help us is to meditate on it. Now, I, I really pushed back on that a little bit because I said meditate, but, but, but by, the Bible does call that. So here's what he means, he said, about meditating. Ask yourself these three questions, and I love this on page 101. What does the passage teach concerning God's will for a holy life? What, what does it teach? So think about that. And these questions are on page 101, so you can, you can find them yourself. So he says, so what, what does it teach me about a holy life? And I want to apply it. That's meditating on it. How does my life measure up to the Scriptures? Specifically, where and how do I fall short? Be specific. I like when he says that. Don't generalize. What have I said about men? Whatever you want to do, please do not tell, think that men get it. Do not stay general. Do not stay gray. Stay real specific. I think I'm struggling on, on uh, this scripture in my life for what reason? Be specific. Then third, what definite steps of action do I need to take to obey? And so, so it says be wise about picking a Bible study time. Don't do it while you're sleepy. Look, I can't do it before I go to bed. You know why? I'll fall asleep. Yep. I'm, I'm sharper in the morning once I get going. But I, I'll tell you something. I usually am sharper to get into the Word, uh, you know, like sometime in the middle of the day. Or, or, and, or, because as the afternoon fades for me, I kind of start falling away a little bit. That's why I usually am most productive on, uh, on days that I don't have to be anywhere. I can get up and get in the Word. So be wise about picking a good sp- a study time. And how about this? Plan, plan out what you're going to do and plan what you're going to do. But maybe for some of you it is. Maybe it, maybe it's a, maybe you don't. We, you know, Andy and I did these how to be a man books. They're forty day devotionals. One of them are eight characteristics the Bible talks about of what a man should be. The other one are eight men of the Bible to emulate. It's one page with a few questions, but it's not going to waste your time. It's meat. It's it's not fluff. You know, maybe something like that is a good way for you to get started. But don't just say today around sometime I'm going to grab some part of the Bible and I'm going to look at it. It's not going to be effective. You wouldn't treat anything else that way. So don't treat the most important part of your sanctification that way either. Uh, it said, read the Bible yourselves, study Scripture intently, and he says, and the other thing is memorizing key passages. Uh, he said, but, um, but we do need to meditate on it. Joshua 1.8, don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Don't you hate when Scripture uses the exact words you're trying to avoid? It says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So, 
Joshua says, the reason why you do it this way, what? So you'll be able to follow it. How many of you can follow instructions that you don't know? I can't. I've, I've tried that. You ought to see some things I try to put together. Because you know what? I don't like to read the directions. Hey, yeah, yeah. And I toss it aside, and I look at the parts, and I think I have it. Every, if you all have seen the time I pulled the, the handle on a, a lawnmower by not following the instructions, and the thing fell apart oh. in the driveway. I mean, and, I mean, you talk about inferior. I told the guy I wanted the display. I didn't want to have to put it together. <laughs> and, um, and I came back, and I had grease all over me. My, my knuckles were bleeding, and I was like that, and I was just sweat running down there. And I came in, toting pieces of it, and the guy said, go get him the display. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I wanted that display. So what does meditation mean? Thinking about it and how it applies to our, to our life. You know where I, can I tell you where I like to spend time talking to the Lord? Driving. Driving. Man, pop in a Bible study. Pop in uh, just the Bible on audio. I use the guy with the English accent. He holds my attention pretty good. And, uh, and that's a great way, a great time uh, to meditate on Scripture or maybe just think something that you want. I mean, I actually do have had some really deep prayers and thought about things while I was driving. I love to get caught up while I'm driving. Uh, look, trust me, other than Rick and Bubba, there's nothing on the radio anyway. You know what I mean? So, so just, uh, yeah. Now, if it's between 6 and 10 Central Time, hold what you got. The, um, the objective of our meditation is application. What is first to become obedient to Scripture. Uh, this is, uh, is going to require discipline. It's going to require us being corrected, some training. Uh, it, it, we're going to have to break bad habits. We're going to have to develop new habits. Remember what this, scripture, this has taught me? And it's really true. And that way you can just kind of take a breath. Don't get overwhelmed by what's coming up. First of all, God's provided all the power you need to win. You just got to access that power. But remember this, so you don't get frustrated. See, I like for people to tell me, is this going to be bad? Is it going to be hard? And everybody says, it actually will be. And a lot of times when I started guard, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be because I got really built it up as being really hard. I think what I hate is when people act like something's easy and then it's not. You ever had that happen? I had that happen the other day. I looked up and I was supposed to do something trying to do better with my physical health. I looked up and I said, well, that don't look too bad. I was wrong. It was really, really bad once I got in the middle of it. And, uh, hey, Rick, that's 10 rounds. 10? I, I thought we were doing it once. And I thought, my gosh, we're not doing much today. And all of a sudden, I, I, I got ripped up my stuff up. And they said, ain't no way you're finished. I said, what do you mean? They said, I said, I'm done. I did what you said. They said, have you done it 10 times? I said, 10 times? You know what I mean? And then say, I wish I'd have known 10. Then I'd have known what I was getting into so I could pace myself. So understand that, that, it, that, that think about all of our sinful habits where they were developed. Well, our new habits are going to have to be developed, too. Okay? It's not going to happen overnight. Discipline does not mean uh, a, uh, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. I love that when he said that. Because I said, well, I ain't doing that anymore. And I can remember, how can I handle this without such a different animal when your son is actually in the room with you? But there, I can remember when I had some habits when I was younger that I kept telling everybody I wasn't going to do anymore. You know what I mean? And they would just start laughing at me. Maybe I had a bad experience. Well, that's it. I ain't doing that anymore. But I didn't do anything to ensure that I wouldn't do it anymore. That's the key. You can't just announce it because nothing's changed. Well, you're in a moment right now where you maybe saw a bad repercussion for what you did, and you think, well, this is, this is by golly, that's over. But you didn't do anything to be sure that, that you went right back to the same people, went out with the same people, went to the same places. And what happened? Ah, did it again. And that's because the announcement meant nothing because you didn't change anything. I'm sure there's a lot of amens in here if you, if you understand what I'm talking about. So you've got to change what you're doing, and you actually have to have some structure. You've got to have some planned training. 
And uh, one of the things they're helping me with, one of the things I'm dealing with that has been sent in my life, like I said, is the, the lack of my physical health and, and, and trying to control my weight and all this. You know what the guys who helped me out will say? And they're starting to encourage me now. The other day I came down there you know, and went and did something before 4th of July. You know what they say? Where's old Rick? Old Rick wouldn't have been here today. He'd have called and said, well, the holiday's here. I don't think I'm going to come today. They said, they said, they said, oh, new Rick got here, but old Rick wouldn't be here, would he? And I said, no, old Rick wouldn't be here. And so they keep referring back, saying, see, you're making progress. You're doing better. And so, um, so one of the things that he talked about, he said on page, um, on page 101, the most important part of the process is specific application of the Scripture to specific life situations. I think that's great. Get specific Scriptures and apply them to specific problems or things in your life. He said, do not be prone to vagueness. You know, so, you know, are you, are you, are you going to do this? Well, in general. He said, be very specific and try to drop out of your life if you want to discipline being so vague. I'm, you know, I'm going to do somewhat better. You know, well, I'll, I'll try. Well, that I plan to. No, that's, see, that's, not, being, that's not being resolved. And certainly, I've done all those things. So this is me teaching you from my own experience. He said, we must avoid these general commitments to obedience and instead aim for specific obedience to specific instances. He says, we deceive our souls when we grow in knowledge of the truth without specifically responding to it. This is good. Well, you, you can learn all you want to learn, if, but if you can't apply it, it doesn't do us any good, does it? And you can find that. Write that verse this down to go look at what James said in James one twenty two. And he said, also, be careful, be careful about spiritual pride, meaning that we start thinking that we're stronger spiritually than we really are and put ourselves in bad situations. That's 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Jot that down. So, uh, and, and he was talking about, um, you know, like for an example, he said, you're meditating on what the Bible says about love in 1 Corinthians 13, which is a great chapter. And he says, you realize the importance uh, of, of, of love, and you also see the practical outworkings of love. Love is patient and kind and does not envy. And you ask yourself, am I impatient or unkind or envious to anyone? You take it now and you ask yourself this question. I, look, we, i got to tell you something at our house. We, this happens a lot with Scripture. And with Sherry and I, it stops a lot of problems. Well, you remember that time. This is just like that time. You know what one will say to the other? Love keeps no record of wrongs. First Corinthians 13. But we do. But he said love doesn't. So if you keep hammering people on stuff, you know what Paul says? Well, you don't really love them. Because if you loved them, you wouldn't keep a record of wrongs for the rest of their life, especially if they've changed who they are. And, and you know, when you go and you know, the book, you go pull that out. Well, we'll just say to each other, hey, love keeps no record of wrong. Where did we learn that? From the Bible. And, um, and, 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 you know, and then, of course, you can ask the question, like if you're doing something as a husband or as a father and you see what Scripture says about that and you're not doing that, then you know that, uh, that there's a problem. So um, other thing he talked about, you know, he gives some more examples. We won't, we won't get into all that. But I do want to talk about uh, some of the things that, um, you know, when you, when you look at some of the things that Jonathan Edwards says, um, and we, we've talked about these a little bit in some of our past studies, uh, but um, he, he's had a lot of great things to say, like we said last week, where he said he wouldn't do anything, you know, if he knew this was going to be the, uh, the last moments of his life. If you, if you wouldn't do it in the last hours of your life, then you shouldn't do them at all. Uh, but anyway, he says you can you can readily see that structured training in holiness is a lifelong process. So don't miss that. So a necessary ingredient of of, of discipline is what perseverance. Man, if there's one word that we got, you got to persevere, man. 
press on. Don't, don't give up. Any training, physical, mental, or spiritual, is characterized at first by what? Failure. We fail more often than we succeed, but if we persevere, we gradually see progress to we are succeeding more often than failing. This is true as we seek to put to death particular sins. At first, it seems we're making no progress. Don't let this frustrate you. So we become discouraged, and we think, what's the use? I can never overcome this sin. And that's exactly what Satan and the adversary or your flesh wants you to think. Jonathan Edwards, he, who resolved what we said, never do anything he'd be afraid of in the last hour of his life, also said this, resolved. We must be resolved. Never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. At first glance, you think about what Jonathan's saying. He said, if he resolved never to do anything he shouldn't do, then why is he talking about giving up the fight regardless of how unsuccessful he may be? He just told us in the last chapter that he was resolved that he was never going to do anything he wouldn't do in the last hour of his life, and now he's saying, I don't give up if I fail. Well, he's, even, even Jonathan Edwards never didn't stick to it. But I, you'll find in a later chapter, we'll get to that, but I thought Jerry made a good point, and we need to learn this. Just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. A failure is who gives up and says, I give into it again. Now, then you're a failure. But to fail... You just you, you dust yourself off. You say, the commitment stands. I didn't make it on the commitment this time. I'm on my face. I'm in the Scripture, and I'm moving forward. Look, I hate to keep using this analogy, but it's one in my life. You've heard this about any health regimen. Look, if you go off the, go off the rails, then get up tomorrow and get back home. Don't just say, well, it's over. That's it. Can't ever do it. Couldn't do it. Never could. Never could. You, you continue to get back to the standard that we are called to, Proverbs 24, 16. For though a righteous man falls seven times, write this one down, this is good, Proverbs 24, 16. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, and listen to this, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. They can't take it. Those who give up, that's, that's how the wicked acts. But a righteous man, though he falls seven times, he keeps getting up. Press on. Get back. Look, dust yourself off. Get back under the authority of Christ. Get back under the will of God and say, I messed up. I repent. And how about this? Whatever I did that got me in this situation, I ain't going to do it anymore. Right? Only the wicked give up when they face calamity. So the person who has disciplined himself toward holiness may fall many times. Listen to me. But he does not quit. Don't ever quit. It's difficult. You know why? Go back to C.S. Lewis. Your flesh now knows it's got a fight going. You may start doing enough that the demons say, this person's worthy to, to rattle. You know, think about what Jesus said to Peter. Hey, Satan, just petition my father to sift you like wheat, and I'm praying for you. Praying for me? How about don't let it happen? But what was he praying? That you won't give in. And even if you do, which what? Peter did. He did. By the way, he didn't pass that test. But did he give up? And what did Jesus do when he brought him over to the shore? Hey, come here. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Tend to my lambs. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things, so you know I love you. 
then feed my sheep. He denied him. He denied him. He denied him. Jesus said, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. You and I are good now. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna finish well. It's going to be ugly, and you're going to be martyred, but I won't ever leave you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Only the wicked give up. So when Paul talks about himself in Matthew 7, we always want to say, I love when Jerry said, we want to skip 7 and get to 8. <laughs> he says, but Paul says in 7, for I, I want to do, uh, I do not do, and what I hate to do, I do. He's not saying that he, that he just gives in. He just says, hey, it's a struggle. Believe it or not, the Apostle Paul says, in my sanctification process, I still feel sin right beside me. But I, but I, and when I mess up, I, just, I, just, I, I, I change what I was doing. And it's often our experience, too. And I like this, and we'll close. The truth is, the more we see the holiness of God and His law revealed to us in Scripture, the more we recognize how far we, we, how short we fall. Isaiah was a prophet walking in righteousness in God's commandment, yet when he saw the Lord in His holiness, he was compelled to cry out, what? Woe is me. Woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. So remember, as the growing knowledge of God's holiness is made aware to us, there'll be also a growing in the practice of holiness, that gap sometimes between our knowledge of who He is and who we are is going to also make us assess just how sinful we really are. Think about Job. Think about Job. Blameless, upright. After the suffering, before I'd heard of you, but now... We've become so close, I actually see you. And remember, this is after you got the resume from God. Do you tell the water what to do? Who are you to question me? Now, he, now at the beginning of Job, he's blameless and upright compared to other people, but not compared to God. And what did Job say after he saw God through the suffering? And I repent and ashes and dust. Now that I've seen who you really are, I have come to complete clarity on even though the world sees me as blameless and upright compared to you, how dirty I still am. So I repent in ashes and dust. That's our attitude. Because the holiness of God compared to us, there's such a gap, it's not going to come easy. But it is attainable if we just won't quit and keep seeking for God to mature us and to train ourselves spiritually and demand excellence from our spiritual wall the way we do for everything else in our life that we deem of any value. Let's pray. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the conviction. And thank you for the time together. Lord, I, I, I cannot even put into words how valuable this time together is with these men every week. And I pray you'll continue to, to teach us and refine us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.